This podcast is sponsored by Speaker Rocks Media, where we hand-build podcasts just like this one to create online communities for brands like yours. If you'd like to learn more, head over to speakerboxmedia.com. Having or being around people that are entrepreneurs or that are part of something that's very interesting in the professional side of things, that's also very attractive for us, right? So yes, that, that's how we see things and networking here in Houston. Welcome to the B2B Growth Hacks podcast, the show that helps entrepreneurs like you unlock opportunities for growth in business. I'm your host, Sarah Smith, and this is B2B Growth Hacks, a podcast powered by Speakerbox Media. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to B2B Growth Hacks. We are here in our Command and Shift series, and I've got another exciting conversation curated for you. Today, I'm talking to Javier Caro, the COO of Blue People. Javier, welcome to B2B Growth Hacks. Hey, Sarah. Thanks for inviting me to this podcast. I'm really excited to share some thoughts and, yes, have this conversation. Awesome. I'm glad to have you. Today, we're going to be talking breaking down barriers, entering in new markets, and the unique challenges of a young CEO who's emerging into a new market. So, Javier, to start off, tell our audience something that maybe everyone might not know about you. All right. That's interesting. So, I think that... (laughs) Nobody knows that I'm a geek fan of series like Game of Thrones, also the books, uh, Lord of the Rings, Harry okay. Potter, those kinds of, of series. I love them. Yeah, I know a lot of, <laughs> about them. And anytime you want to have a conversation about that, it'll be like very, very fun too. <laughs> You're among friends. Yeah. The Speaker Box team yeah. is huge fans as well. So yeah, I didn't add a quiz section in here about any of the movies, <laughs> but I should have done that <laughs> towards the end. Anyway, so kind of moving into talking early on to your journey, kind of to your C-suite role here. Let's start early in your education. Tell us a little bit about where you went to college and then some of the early roles that you navigated in your career. Sure. So I went to college and to the University Tecnológico de Monterrey in Monterrey, Mexico. I studied mechanical engineering degree with a minor in business administration I love that career. I mean, I was really into it, participating in a lot of workshops. And my first roles in the professional side was in the IT world, right? Okay. So it was not at that moment related to my career directly. I started as a QA engineer, then moved on as a consultant, doing large implementations of applications into different companies. So that's where life Got me. I mean, there were a lot of opportunities there. And then when I graduated, I shifted into a job that was more related to my career. So I was all in into mechanical design and mechanical engineering. I love to do that. I was also part of the leadership team of maintenance team in a big manufacturing company that's called Metalsa. I traveled to Elizabethtown, Kentucky. I lived there for about a year, a little bit more than a year. It was a very, very cool experience. But then this opportunity came up into going back into an IT job. And that's where I started with Blue People collaborating. And it's been very good so far. Got it. So do you feel like IT was really your calling all along? Is that something that just naturally happened that you gained an interest as the landscape of technology evolved? Yes, actually, it was very natural. 
And the more I, I was exploring the IT world, I realized that there's huge opportunity, huge growth, huge potential. So that's something that I liked a lot. And that's why I chose that path. Yeah, a lot of people may not realize, but Mexico is a huge hub for, especially Monterey, for software development. Tell me a little bit about the different industries and landscape kind of in Mexico that maybe we may not know or listeners may not know. Yeah, sure. In Monterey, one of the three major cities in Mexico, there are very, very good quality engineers in a lot of fields. So there are amazing software developers there, and they are also very good other types of engineers, such as the mechanical, where I studied on mechatronics, very good people in the human also side of things, architects, very, very good architects there. So yes, there's a lot of people there that, that are passionate about it and also very, very talented. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm Mexican-American. I'm third generation. And I feel like most of the time, the things that we talk about, art or culture or food, which again, are there's no question that Mexican design has influenced so much of design around the world. But I think even for me, it, it came surprising to know that there's such a huge tech focus there and there's tons of opportunity to really cultivate talent from Mexico. Exactly. So yes. it's really cool to hear. So tell me, as you're kind of shifting now back into IT, you get this opportunity with Blue People. How does that come about? How does the opportunity with Blue People come about? And actually, this might be a good time to tell everyone, what is Blue People? <laughs> what is Blue People? Okay, so <laughs> Blue People is a software development company. We are industry agnostic because we're very passionate about technology and we know that there's a solution for every need. Blue People also focuses a lot on cloud development, cloud native development, top-notch technologies, serverless technologies, etc. Well, the opportunity came because Enrique, the CEO, and Fernando, the were the founders, started uh, seven years ago with a SaaS product for dentists. So it was this product that they were developing and started offering it to different dental clinics, right? Along the way, they realized that there was a huge potential to grow. New customers were looking for them for building custom apps. So that's where they decided to continue growing and to continue growing the team. And yes, they approached to me one day. Actually, I was still in the U.S. And then, yes, we talked for about a couple of months just I needed to be sure that that's something that I wanted because I was very, very comfortable where I was. But at the end, I mean, I saw the opportunity. I wanted to collaborate with them at that moment. So yes, I joined the team. At that moment, there were about eight to 10 people in, in Blue People. And yes, from there on, that was five years ago, we started this journey together. And uh, yes, now we're here with more than 150 people all around Mexico. That's so amazing. Congratulations thank you, to thank you guys and the team for having built something. I think sometimes people don't understand how hard it is to, or we just overlook, maybe not understand, but overlook the difficulty it takes in building something from scratch and building a business. When you said you were trying to determine whether or not you should make the move to Blue People because you were comfortable, what were things that were going through your head as a young professional who had a great job and a good opportunity? What are some of the deciding factors that you were kind of thinking through when you were thinking about taking that leap? It was risky. Yes. Yes, totally. And obviously at that moment, a lot of friends told me like, hey, what are you doing? I mean, <laughs> this is a huge risk you're taking. At that moment, I tried to see a little bit on a long-term side, sure. right? So short-term, I was very comfortable and I knew that if I made that decision at the beginning, it was going to be difficult because of all the uncertainty that you have. 
moving away or, or losing a lot of what you have built in some years, right? But then again, that was also a cool part of it, right? Like that emotion, that adrenaline of saying, hey, I need to jump and see what, I mean, and at the end, I also realized that I was in an age where I could make that decisions, mm. right? If something at the end didn't work out the best way or as expected, was the perfect time to move back and forth. I had open opportunities at the moment that was very, very helpful to make my decision and to join the team. Yeah. And I like that the nature of this really kind of lends to the fact that this opportunity came about very natural with people who you know, relationships that you've built, people who you trust. And that's really important when you're making these big decisions is knowing, hey, if we're going into war, at least I have a friend to my left and a friend to my right. Because that, that's right. Yes. A startup is volatile and blue people really still was in startup ish mode because they were pivoting yeah. from a major product to a more integrated solution, right? So moving yeah. into your C-suite kind of role, which probably at the time wasn't a C-suite role and didn't feel like it. No, Tell I mean, me about <laughs> the early days of moving into Blue People and what were you doing then? What was the landscape like coming into a new startup? Yeah. So obviously at that moment, we don't have the structure that we now have. I mean, we didn't need it. Yeah. Those type of positions when I joined the company, I started to be in charge of some projects, right? So projects started to come in and bigger, bigger and bigger projects at that moment. So I started doing the business analyst role, the project management role. And yeah, so sometimes changing one hat <laughs> to another in the same project just to get it on. And it was really, really, uh, I mean, a lot of time consuming because whenever projects start to come in and you don't have the people so you need to be in different places at the same time, right? So I'm starting doing mainly the business analysis side, the project management side. And then that's when we started seeing that it was really, really moving very fast. So we started hiring more people and that's where we started to create the structure little by little to something that we have right now. Yeah. So as you get on more projects, it creates the problem of needing more help. And it almost sometimes can feel like you're in this revolving cycle when you're growing so rapidly. So I know one of the challenges of being ahead of fast growth is people and people management. Talk me through that and what it's like, because like you said, I mean, in five short years here, you started with maybe 10 people and now you're at over 100. That has to throw some monkey wrenches in the Challenges. plan. Challenging. Yeah, sure. There's all kinds of challenges. First of all, it's not the same when you are directly involved in the project versus having someone there that you need to manage. So as we started moving forward and growing, one of the biggest challenges is how can I make sure that the results that I want in a project to keep it that way, mm -hmm. right? To keep it in a very, very good deliverables for our customers, good timing, yeah. everything, good quality. And there's a mix of things that you can do in order to get there. I mean, obviously, defining good processes, finding the right people, having very good management practices so that everything it's where they need to be. But it's a challenge. I mean, you start hiring people that not necessarily think the way that you think. But that's the cool thing about it, because to get to a certain goal, there are different paths that you can explore. Sure. And not only your path is the one that's going to get there, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, and one of the hard things that you're talking through is like, one, the onus is on, on management and whoever's leading at the moment, whether they're C-suite or not, to have 
well-defined systems that drive the results that the company wants. There's also a teaching aspect to that. And there's a delegation process. There's a process where you have to hand this off to someone else and walk me through what maybe some of those early challenges were with delegation in something as critical as software development. Yeah. So there's always the struggle that delegating something, right? Because you have this uncertainty of of how it's going to result at the end. At that moment, the first thing that I started delegating was obviously the important roles in software development, right? The business analysis size and the project management. That's the first things that I needed to delegate in order to oversee all the projects and to make sure that all of them were moving in the right direction, right? But then that doesn't stop there. You start having different types of projects, custom apps, staff augmentation, support to production, apps that are already in production and you need to give some kind of support. So then as you have more and more projects on each type, you need to put someone there to oversee each one of them, right? So then you move further away from the, <laughs> yeah. from the core process of, of each one of the projects. And in order to make sure, let's say, I mean, I was always knowing what was happening in each of the projects. So if you see something that's going on, what is the correct way of doing or telling someone to do something? Do you go directly to that person or do you like follow the path, the leadership path or the hierarchy path? It will take longer to get there, but sure. probably that's the best way to do it. So that struggle is something that you need to make that decision day by day, right? And how that doesn't affect the the end process, mm -hmm. that's a, a very big challenge. Yeah, not circumventing the process that you put in place because you can. Common thing that organizations have problems with, and it kind of leads into this culture piece that's so important to every business. Every business is different. Every business has different challenges, different values, and those inevitably bleed over into our culture. Tell me about the culture at Blue People. What's the culture like? What's really important for Blue People as part of their internal culture? Yes, that's a good question. Culture is a big thing in Blue People. What we try to do with everyone is that they feel welcomed and they feel part of, of something, right? Part of the company and that they are proud to be part of the Blue People team, right? So there's something that we do every Friday that everyone loves it. That is the Friday Shots. It's a town hall meeting <laughs> where we toast for the week's achievements, right? So we use that meeting to give special announcements, to introduce new people that are joining the team, relevant things on, on each of the departments. And each head of department will say something about what happened in the week. So that way everyone knows what's going on with the company, not just with the project that they're involved with. Mm. And at the end, there's a toast. We toast for the new people that are joining. And actually those new team members get to choose their blue tag, right? Okay, a so blue tag. A blue tag, it's like a nickname. So everyone will know them by that nickname instead of the name from that moment on. Okay. So we have all kinds of... Instead of their legal name. So of everyone name, in yes. your company goes by a blue tag that's a nickname. Everyone. And everyone. they choose this on their first week? On the first, yes, on the first Friday that they are in the company at the okay. Friday shot. So for example, we have all kinds of blue tags. There's a Batman. <laughs> There's a there, Batman there, or blue uh, people. Okay. There used to be a Superman. Logan, I mean, and they can also go by their short name. Sure. The only rule is that it doesn't repeat. So there can't be two Batmans, ah. obviously. They can't be two, <laughs> two Sarahs. Okay, can, got so, it. 
if you're the first Sara to join a company and you want that as a blue tag, you will get Sara and nobody else can have that name. So gotcha. that's, that's the rule. And that's something that they feel very good that they have their nickname. Sure. Everyone is calling them by that nickname and nobody will ever have that blue tag, right? So cool. Such <laughs> a unique thing. So the next question is obvious. What is your blue tag? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think is my blue tag? I'm a huge fan of Game of Thrones. Yes. So I choose my blue tag to be Lord Commander. Oh my goodness. <laughs> okay. Yes. I mean, it fits well. I'm a Game of Thrones fan too. So yeah, man, it, that's really cool. And it's really fun. I don't know what I would name my blue tag if I had a choice, but it's a fun way. I love that it helps give people ownership over how they want yes. to be addressed. It's an opportunity to cultivate conversation. Because now, if I'm a Game of Thrones fan and I see Lord Commander on somebody's blue tag, I now know they are too, right? Yes. So it fosters community. And that's something that's really big at Speakerbox. We really push for community. Yes. That everyone should feel a part of something. That we should be a part of our general communities and different interests. So love that. And the funniest part is where you're in with a customer and a meeting and they say, okay, yes, Batman will take care of that. <laughs> and that has happened. I mean, it's funny and that has happened. And it's so natural for the team to say it that way that at first the customer is always like, it's a funny time, but then it becomes normal right? Sure. In, in the day by day. Yeah, but it, we're talking about it in this way that's really lighthearted and that's really positive, but it just goes to show you how powerful cultural things are and how they can infiltrate your organization in a really powerful way. And in this sense, it's a really positive thing, which is pretty awesome. So Lord Commander, tell me about emerging into, so what people might not know is Blue People is a global company, right? It was founded in Mexico and you are now in the US and you've got an office here in Houston, which is pretty cool. But emerging into a new market and a foreign market kind of during the pandemic and in that time frame, had to have come with some challenges. Walk me through the initial, where you guys started deciding you wanted to expand into a foreign market and what that decision-making process was like. Yeah, sure. So yes, big challenge because it's a market that we don't know, right? That we didn't know at that moment. And uh, one of the main reasons that we decided was to be closer to the few customers that we already had. And also because... There's always uncertainty when government changes, right? Mm -hmm. So Mexico, it's been changing from one government to another, and we really want to be prepared for everything. Sure. We obviously want to continue growing over there, but that was also a reason that pushed us to move into another market. So thanks to big companies in Mexico that referred us to some of the companies here in the States, we already had some customers, a couple here in Houston. We had another one in San Francisco, another one in Pennsylvania at that moment. And one of the first questions for us was where to move, right? Or where to expand. And uh, we decided uh, Houston for a lot of reasons, right? One of the reasons was that there's a direct flight from Monterey to Houston <laughs> that it's very convenient and it's a one hour flight. So it's very easy to travel back and forth. Second, the majority of the customers that we had in the States were here. So we wanted to be closer to them to give a better service or whatnot. So we didn't just move into Houston. We started last year being here for three months just to get a better grasp of the community and, and see how everything was. So we loved those three months because 
we realized all the things that are going on here, all the investment that's been uh, moving around for startups, for big projects. I mean, money's moving a lot, right? Also, people here are really awesome. I mean, we felt very welcoming at that moment. People are genuinely want to help you and to see you succeed, right? So sure. we started networking. We started just browsing over the internet, good networking events. We went to a lot of them. Obviously, now we know where are the good ones that we want to always be present. It was great. So we decided, hey, let's just move, right? So January from this year, we just decided to move in with families, pets, kids, everything, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm talking about my colleagues because I'm single. I don't have kids yet. But yes, it was a, a huge move. And now we live here. Now we love it here. And uh, things are going really, really great. Awesome. So yeah, I guess that's also first shout out to the age, man. We have the best people. I always tell people like, look, it's hot. It is hot here, but the people make up for it. The culture here is amazing. I'll never leave Houston. Not permanently, at least. Don't quote me on that, Ray. It's still an open discussion. Uh, but yeah. So yeah, for sure. I love that that was your experience in Houston. Houston hospitality is like no other. But One of the things that you mentioned was networking. And honestly, that's how you and I met. We met at a networking event. And here we are having this conversation now. And it was a really great part of the strategy to go into the market that way and to see what the landscape was like. And I'm glad you guys saw the opportunity in Houston. I think it is changing. The culture that you're experiencing now was not this way. Even four years ago, three years ago, like... This is really new and budding, and it's a great, exciting time to be a part of it as speaker box, but I know for blue people as well. So we met at one of the popular networking events in the innovation community called Cup of Joey. You guys should come. Yeah. If you haven't been, it's at the Ion building on Main Street. It's the old Sears building every Friday, 8.30 to 10.30. You should come by. You can meet Javier. Sure, you yes. can meet me. It'd be cool. But anyways... When you guys started going to these different networking events, what made sense for you? How do you even choose? How do you choose what networking events to go to? How did you guys source that information? And then honestly, after networking events, how do you guys approach that? What do you do when it comes to fostering relationships and kind of creating a customer base and a new market? Yeah, yeah. And you just said a keyword that it's relationships, right? And relationships are all about trust. So it's not a matter of just, coming into someone and trying to sell your services. I mean, you can do that. But then again, the best way or what we have found out is that the best way to make business is first building trust. Sure. And then that's when if that person has a need of something that you can solve, that's the perfect opportunity to talk about it. Right. But at the beginning or I mean, every time we go to a networking event, we just want to meet new people because we would probably need their services as well, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we're a company that we have a lot of providers as well, and, and we always want to maintain top quality providers. So getting to know someone, or if you aren't going to do something professional with them, just by meeting them, you get something out of them. Sure. At least inside, at least you have another friend in Houston. I mean, we're new here, so every friend counts, right? <laughs> True. <laughs> But, But yes, we started just by browsing networking events, Eventbrite, uh, Meetup, uh, those kinds of platforms. 
and just going, right? We didn't stop to choose to which to go, which one not to go. We started going to everyone. And then we started knowing and getting a feeling of which and where were the ones that were best for us. And what we're looking where we're meeting new people is are people that kind of have the same goals as we have. Obviously, everyone at some point is in need of IT services. Sure. And that's something very good for us. But we know that not everyone is there at every moment, right? So having, for example, the Cup of Joy that you just mentioned is a very good networking event where you always meet new people. I mean, there's not always the same. It's a flow because it's growing a lot of new people. It's also good to see the same people that you are already friends with because, mm -hmm. I mean, you build on top of that. If you have seen someone for two or three times, you still build trust and relationships. And also having or being around people that are entrepreneurs or that are part of something that's very interesting in the professional side of things, that's something also very attractive for us, right? So, sure. so yes, that's how we see things and networking here in Houston. Yeah, I mean, it's such an important thing. I think when you go into networking to go in with an open mind and not really expecting that you're going to get something in. Even at networking events, people are still expecting a hard sell. And one of yeah. the things that, one of the tools that I should say, my co-founder and partner Ray gave me was asking people simply, how can I help you? And it's so funny how often you ask that question and it takes people aback because they're not used to that. People are used to other people coming and hard selling them and not really looking to engage or not necessary just to learn, not to gain anything specifically. Like you said, there's insight to be gained off of conversation, relationships, experience. And it's really cool to see kind of the networking world a little bit disrupted. I think coming out of COVID, like people were ready to get out, right? Yes. And so everybody's like, go to all the networking events. But I think it's really changed the conversation and it's really cool to see. Yeah, I love Cup of Joey. Always somebody new, always somebody working on something interesting yes. too. Yes. You know, in business a lot, you're solving problems and sometimes solving big problems, right? And so hearing other creative solutions and kind of what other people are working on always sparks me to solve internal problems too. So the flow of conversation is good. Well, Javier, we could talk forever because I <laughs> obviously am a huge fan of blue people. They're usually the most swagged out people at a networking <laughs> event. So you will see blue people there indistinctly. But I guess if you had to leave us with, leave our audience with one thing, what's a takeaway that you've gained kind of in your experience leading a global company thus far? Okay, so a huge takeaway is to be open to new ideas. We have a, actually, Blue People has a set of principles that we always love to share, especially internally. There's one principle that we have that's collective thinking, right? So we obviously always have the temptation of solving problems in a certain way. Mm -hmm. But whenever you get other people involved, and especially people that think different of how you think, Ideas start to show and very good ideas start to pop up, right? And most of the times the way to go, it's a mix of different ideas that sure. two different people came up with, right? So that was something very, very huge because I feel that at some point I was the one that wanted to do everything, right? <laughs> yeah. But if you want to scale up, that's not always the case. So Yeah. Oh, and it's really hard. I'm not going to lie. I have a certain way I like things done and I do like to do them. So yeah, it's, 
imploring kind of within your organization for there to be diversity of thought. Yes. Like I said, you're solving challenging problems and you get to a point where you cannot touch every single thing. So to think that as a top tier leader, you're able to solve the problem better than the people who are on the ground doing these things day in and day out, I think would be a huge miss of experience exactly. to walk away from. It's funny. I'm actually reading a book now. It's called The Growth Mindset by Carol Dweck. And she gave an example of this organization. And I don't remember the organization. So apologies for that. But one of the things they do is they took the labels off of meetings. So for example, you know, we have our weekly meetings like CEOs, department leads, managers, whatever. We have these labels and we have these meetings based on those labels. And what they did was say, today we're having a meeting, I'll give you an example, about the elevator that's broken. And anybody who has anything to contribute to that problem, please come to the meeting. So then you're starting to generate conversation from interested parties in solving that particular solution, right? And so you generate this kind of diversity of thought. Another one, which I'm immediately going to have done, is when you get in a room And you're trying to make a decision, say a decision's being made, and everyone agrees on the decision. The decision isn't made there. The next step is, okay, we're going to meet on this maybe two days later, and everyone needs to come with a reason why this wouldn't work. So it keeps people from kind of this yes man or woman mentality, agreeing to uh, everything, and implores people to really think deeply about solutions. And I think quickly it identifies people who care. And your long-term people who are committed to the company, products, solutions, and people who simply just have no interest. And I think it's a good thing. It's a good thing to reward people who at all levels who want to solve and contribute. And likewise, to encourage people who have zero interest to find the things they're interested in. Exactly. Yes. You know, so I was like, wow, this is kind of cool. And I love that you guys have that in your core values and your principles right off. So kudos to you guys. You're doing some amazing things. Thank you. Thank I'm you. so glad Thanks we so. talked today because there's so <laughs> many new things I learned. If someone wants to connect with you and talk further or hear more about what you do, where can they find you? Where are you online? Yeah, sure. So they can find me on LinkedIn, Javier Carro. That's my page. They can find me there. They can find me also in our Bluetooth YouTube page, Blue People might YouTube. To, <laughs> you might have to trademark that Bluetooth. Kind of Bluetooth. Cool. Bluetooth. I'm going to start calling that way. <laughs> But yes, we have a, a YouTube page, Blue People, and they can find us there. There are a lot of really good videos there that share. We love always to share knowledge and to share everything so that other companies, that they're doing the same thing that we do to have some tips from us. Yes. And sure. Always. Okay, cool. Is there a resource or any book or anything that you would recommend to our audience that's been really impactful for you? Yeah, so there's a book that where we implemented a lot of practices that helped us scale up. That's the Rockefeller Habits. Yeah. Really, really good book. Yes, definitely a fan of that. Okay, awesome. Well, Javier, thank you so much for sharing so generously and being so cool with sharing some of the cool things that Blue People are doing. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Ray. Thank you, Speaker Rocks, for, for this time. I love this. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to know how to get involved and share your story, head over to our website at b2bgrowthhacks.com. Also, while you're there, subscribe to our newsletter so you don't miss the latest conversations happening here on B2B Growth Hacks.
This podcast is sponsored by Speakerbox Media, where we hand-build podcasts just like this one to create online communities for brands like yours. If you'd like to learn more, head over to speakerboxmedia.com.